Hello and welcome to another edition of the ATP podcast and we are doing it live from Australia again. We are live in Adelaide, we are live in Melbourne as we're recording this and well fair to say it's been a pretty busy week in the world of tennis. Maybe that's slightly understanding it a bit. Plenty of off-field drama, plenty happening on the court as well. We've had the ATP Cup, we've got tournaments in Adelaide, we've also got tournaments at Melbourne Park ahead of the Australian Open, which isn't too far away. In the podcast, we're going to hear from Maxim Cressy, and looking forward to that because he's in the final, playing the final against Rafael Nadal in Melbourne, and it's an interesting story. The person who did that interview is also joining me for the podcast. I'm Peter Bacardo, and it's great to be alongside Jill Krabus. Again, we're doing this down under. It's lovely to see you all the way there in Melbourne. Jill, it's been a hell of a week. It has. And Peter, it's so great to be back. I have to say, um, I was here last year and I thought maybe things would be a lot different, but it's at least we're being able to come back and be here in Melbourne. And it's incredible that Australia has been able to put on so many events leading up to the Australian Open. I think it's absolutely spectacular. It's actually hard to keep track of of all these events in my head, but I'm here at Melbourne Park, like you said, um, and we've we've had a great event so far, so it's been really fun. Yeah, it's been interesting to see a ATP 250 event being played in the lead up to the Australian Open at Melbourne Park, similar to what we had last week. I've been in Adelaide, or I am in Adelaide when we're recording this, getting ready for the final, the ATP 250 here. And of course, there's the ATP Cup happening in Sydney. But the big news of the day, big news of the week, big news of the year, I'm sure it's going to be, has been uh, Novak Djokovic and uh, his ill-fated arrival into Australia. Obviously, this is an ATP podcast, so if you're going to look for more in-depth analysis and comment on it, I'm sure there's hundreds of other podcasts that are discussing it at the moment, but we do need to talk about it. Obviously, our own views in particular on this, but no one comes out of this really looking any good. We have a player that's at the moment uh, in quarantine. Um, He's obviously free to go whenever he likes. At the time of recording, there's a a court case that's about to to be heard, so we can't comment too much on on what's happening there. But it's just a sad situation, I think. There are so many different elements that we could run through and talk about, but this podcast would probably go for about four and a half hours. But Jill, from a player's perspective, it's obviously not ideal. And maybe just give us some sort of understanding from a player's perspective about not this situation specifically, but when you travel around the world, it's not just as easy as saying, I'm a tennis player, let me in. There's so much paperwork that you have to think about when you travel from place to place and so many rules and regulations that you have to keep up with. That's true. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times, I mean, after you've traveled for quite a bit with all the paperwork and getting a visa and everything that can get a little bit complicated. Also, there's a lot of different rules depending on what country you're from. I think for me as an American, obviously it's easier to get visas to certain places and than other countries, other countries, it takes a little bit longer, but there's always a process to come in. And, you know, Australia has always had strict, strict rules as far as for an American getting an electronic visa was always relatively straightforward once you did all the paperwork. But there was, having said that, there was a lot of paperwork that you had to go through and fill out. So it was never a super easy process. But um, it, to me, it's very unfortunate what's happened. I mean, look, I'm all, I'm all in favor of it's the person and the player's choice about what they want to do with their body, where they, whether they want to get vaccinated or not, it's your choice. But there, you know, knowing the rules from Australia, there can be consequences if you, depending on what your decision is. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's got gotten to this, 
place from Djokovic. I mean, I think, you know, obviously a lot of people want to see him come and play, but, you know, I don't know. We obviously don't know all the rules that were put in place um, by the government and what's happening. We'll find out more, obviously, once the court case starts. But um, I just think it's unfortunate because I think everyone is trying to do everything uh, based on the rules. So I think it's just kind of an unfortunate situation. Yeah, we should point out that from our perspective, we're obviously doing commentary across the whole Australian summer. Um, There are tight rules and regulations about what we can do. So we're not traveling to different places a lot. It's basically home courts, home courts, home courts. Uh, We're wearing masks the whole time. We're being tested every single day, the rapid testing. Uh, I guess the other thing too is the uh, unfortunate timing of all of this. Because as you said, Jill, you know, 12 months ago, the players endured 14 days, and you did, of course, uh, 14 days of hard quarantine because we didn't have the vaccine. And everyone in Australia, pretty much 90% of Australians went out and got vaccinated and now we're up to booster stage. But... We have the new variant. And of course, in Victoria, which has endured a lot of lockdown, 260 odd days of it, uh, cases pretty much during the week have have grown rapidly. And to to give you an idea, I think we had more cases in one day uh, than what we had, I think, for the whole 2020. So, you know, it is a tough situation, a tough situation for everyone. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next week in terms of whether any restrictions are going to be imposed on crowds because they've talked about full crowds and things like that. So there's a lot to play out, but we need to focus on the tennis now because there's so much happening, as you say, Jill. Let's go to Sydney first, the ATP Cup. As we're recording this, we're recording it ahead of the final. If you want all the results and all the analysis, you'll be finding it on atptour.com. We've got Canada in the final. We've got Spain in the final. We haven't had as many of the big names coming to Australia to play. Unfortunately, Dominic Team, one of the big draw cards, uh, he's not playing. There's a question mark over Stefanos Tsitsipas and how he's feeling heading into Australia. But, you know, the Spanish team, just keep on keeping on. It doesn't matter who they play. You don't have Nadal in the team. Doesn't matter. They've got so many players to choose from anyway. Alcaraz not playing, and they still reach the final. And the Canadians, I think, well-deserved. Felix Sergio Eliassime and Denis Shapovalov, they've had a great tournament too. Yeah, you know, I was looking at the lineups and who was playing for the teams before the ATP Cup even started. And Spain was one of those that definitely stuck out to me as far as being one that could be very dangerous. I think Italy was also one, and Russia, of course, um, the defending champions from last year. But, um, you know, the Canadian team has been super impressive. I know Felix is the captain of that team and they've all really just respected him and admired the role that he's taken as captain. Um, and the fact that, you know, as we know, Ajayali Asim and Shapovalov have been friends for a very long time. I felt, I feel like they fed off each other really well. I mean, I was listening to their uh, Shapovalov's post-match interview, especially, you know, at, before they got to the, to the final when he won his match and he was all about just praising, um, his teammates, praising how much they've all kind of come together and inspired each other. And that goes a long way. And that says a lot to me about why they've been able to reach that final is because they've just fed off the intensity, the emotion, the excitement. And so you could see the level of appreciation. So I think it's going to be an incredible final and also the contrast of the styles. I think you have, you know, the flashiness of Shapovalov, 
a JLSCM against the super consistent Spanish team. So I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, the Russians reaching the semi-final. We thought, oh, well, that's a team event, so surely they're going to roll through. They had their own uh, issues, of course, with part of their team not being able to play due to COVID. But it just shows you these nations that have the tremendous depth in their ranks to be able to say, okay, you guys, sad you're not here, but we've got other guys who are going to step up uh, to the plate. And it's been great to see some of those unheralded Russian players, Safulin in particular, who's had just a hell of a tournament playing off the back of, of working with Daniel Medvedev. Uh, they reached the semifinals again. They've had a particularly good tournament. And Poland too. I mean, Hubert Herkash, we can talk about him forever, but he's had such a great season last year. But again, when you build that team dynamic, even though there are players who are a bit further down the rankings, they tend to lift. And I think it gives them an opportunity too to be around these top players. I mean, I know they they know each other, but to sort of be in that venue, that atmosphere and see the intensity that the top players bring to not only their matches, but their practices every day, how they train. And so to be able to be around that, I mean, um, you know, Karatsev was a great example last year too. A lot of us hadn't heard his name before and now he's doing exceptionally well, but to be able to be around that sort of mentality over and over again is a huge asset, I think, for a lot of these players. And I don't think it was any surprise. Of, I mean, just listening to some of the other guys talk about Sifulin, um, I don't think it was any surprise that they thought that he would have sort of a rise because he's had that talent for a while. Yeah, sure has. I mean, uh, you mentioned Karatsev and no one had heard of him until I brought up his name on the Predictions, the ATP podcast, and I've been dining out on it ever since, as our listeners know. So I'm not going to talk about it, but I, next week we are doing our time capsule predictions. I'm just giving you a heads up, Jill. We're going to be doing it. You've got a week to prepare. I'm going to pick out another player who's going to make a big rise up the rankings. But it has been a fun tournament all the way through. We've had um, Sasha Zverev leading Germany. He hasn't done too much wrong along the way. Um, it's just good because he got a feast of tennis. And actually, the fact that it's being played in the one city and the two venues are pretty close to, to one another uh, has worked out pretty well considering that that's been an event that's been run all over Australia in the past. So good to see um, that it's run through. We haven't had too many problems with it, and it's going to be a good final tonight uh, there in Sydney. You're in Melbourne. Tell us a little bit about what's been happening in the Melbourne summer set. There's been so many tournaments. There's two WTA events there, but there's also the, the men's event featuring one Rafael Nadal, who came to Melbourne, and he's in the final. And uh, I guess that's not totally unexpected, but how's he looking? Yeah, he's looking pretty good. I mean, I actually got to interview him after his first um, round against Sparankis, which was, of course, a second round because he had a bye. But, um, I mean, he said he was feeling pretty good. His goal, obviously, was to stay healthy. It was his first singles match in about five months. Um, so he was, it, it does take a little while to sort of get used to, you know, the the movement and being able to compete again. So it was a good first round for him to get through. I mean, Barankas played amazing that match and Nadal really had to work hard. So, and then he got a walkover um, and then, you know, played Rusaviori. So in the semi, so he's been, he's been looking good. I think what's important for him is to just get matches. You know, his coach, Carlos Moya had said for a while, he's been dealing with this foot injury actually for a few years. Um, so it's something that he's had to manage, but I mean, if you talk about one of the best at being able to manage their body, um, you know, obviously he's dealt with knee issues and stuff. He is one of the best. So he knows when to rest. He knows when he's ready to start competing again. So he felt ready to start this year. And I think just, it's been really important for him to get out there and, and being able to get through a couple of those matches. 
he's one that gets better the more matches he he plays. Yeah, exactly. I think he'll have a nice week off uh, leading up to the Australian Open uh, this week, and he'll be right to go. I mean, what, the the top players are always the best exponents of being able to handle major tennis. So the seven matches and the psychology of all of that. He'll have a uh, you would think uh, well by ranking a slightly more comfortable ride through the early rounds. Never any easy matches. We hear that from the players all the time. We say it, but then he really can build. And, okay, he may not be right at his absolute best in round one, round two, but he'll do enough to win, and then he'll keep rolling from there. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting, too, I asked a few players about this, but having this event at Melbourne Park, they're getting a chance to play on Rod Laver Arena, too, um, before leading up to the Australian Open, which I think can be is a, is a benefit for sure. Just, I mean, there have been some fans out there. They've only been allowed in sort of half the stadium because the other half has just been, you know, for security and stuff like that. So they are keeping them on one half right now, but it has been, you know, there's been a lot of people there to watch, but being able to have that experience and being able to get back on Rod Labor, I think is, is good for, for the players as well. And the tickets have been pretty cheap too, so it's a good chance for the fans who maybe can't get to the Australian Open. I think it's ten Australian dollars or nine Australian dollars per ticket, so uh, it is a hot ticket in town. Don't worry about that. He's playing Maxim Cressy though in the final. Uh, you get these sort of results thrown up at two fifties from time to time, but the servant volley exponent. Yeah, it's been fun to watch. I mean, you barely see that style of tennis. I think for a while you haven't seen it. And Cressy is the type that serves and wants to be at the net almost every point. Um, I watched his semifinal match against Dimitrov uh, last night and he was he was exceptional. I mean, he what's impressive about him is even if he makes a couple of mistakes, you know, he's sticking to his game plan. He knows that's it's disruptive for a lot of players because you don't see that style as much. But he's been um, very impressive, not only with his game, but also his mentality. I think, you know, there were moments he got down um, a couple set points in the second set against Dimitrov and made a couple errors at the net that you wouldn't, he wouldn't normally make, but he ne- you never saw one sign of frustration on his face. I think he was just so composed. Um, and I think he just handled the moment exceptionally well. Yep. So he's reached the final here. You actually had the chance to speak to him and find out a little bit more about um, the style of game and why he's decided to be an exponent of servant volley tennis. It's a hell of a throwback, but it's working for him at the moment and also concentrating more on the mental side of his game. I've done a lot of mental work lately, so uh, I've been really uh, mastering my, my mindset, my mind lately, so this is what, I, what I've been focusing on. Specifically, I feel like uh, I'm working on not getting carried away by uh, my emotions or, uh, or feelings on the court, and I just focus on, uh, on uh, point by point and, uh, and on my keywords. Uh, and uh, in the past, I used to um, lose matches because I would get carried away by anger or frustration and I'd get distracted, but now that's what I've been working on, just being focused on every point no matter what and, and uh, control the controllables. So is that something that you discovered on your own or has someone helped you with that? How did that come about? Uh, yes, I have a, a coach that helps me a lot. Uh, his name's Armand Darcourt, a uh, French fellow coach. And uh, no, he's uh, been helping me a lot on the, on the mental side. I've been also uh, in touch with the mental coach of uh, the USTA. And we've okay. been uh, working on that as, with him as well. 
uh, and I've been implementing it on the court with uh, with my coach. And uh, no, it's it's uh, it's it's nice to see uh, things uh, working out uh, deliberately. You have a very unique game style, serve and volley quite a bit. How mm-hmm. much does that give you confidence going into your matches, know that, knowing that you can be disruptive? No, I have a lot of confidence in, the, in that game style. I just, uh, I just think that uh, mentally I wasn't uh, ready. Uh, Mature-wise, uh, mature I wasn't ready to uh, be as consistent as uh, the top uh, players. And, uh, and I think this is the missing ingredient for me, uh, to be able to con- be consistent uh, many matches in a row. And that's what I'm, I've been doing re- recently. So... And having those matches in a row, that in, increases your confidence as well. Exactly. Just getting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And from this point on, I mean, I know obviously you're focusing in the present moment, but looking forward, are you someone that likes to set goals, likes to have that motivation to have those mini goals ahead for you? Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a vision of who I want to become, and then I have my uh, short-term goals, obviously, focusing a day by day and uh, and sometimes visualize uh, my goals in the short term, yes. Okay. Yeah. And then off off court, we want to kind of get a little bit to know you more. <laughs> what what are some of your hobbies, interests that you like to do off court? Well, I, I love meditating. I love, okay. uh, yeah, I love uh, doing many activities that uh, can help my mental health. Uh, with the. When with did you start that? I started uh, three years ago. Okay. Yes, yes. But I haven't been able to, um, to make the connection with on the court, and I'm recently doing that. Uh, How so? Uh, because uh, no, it's uh, I have been able to find a new mantra, and uh, related with my serve, related with what I can control, and I keep repeating myself those mantras, and I meditate, I visualize, and uh, before I was just meditating, just uh, for the fun of it, because I loved it, and mm-hmm. uh, I do a lot of yoga as well. Okay. Yeah, I actually uh, went to a yoga six uh, a couple days ago. Nice. It helped me a lot. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I, I love reading uh, and uh, obviously watch a TV series on Netflix or, um, yeah, I love watching Friends watching many friends. times. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching Friends many, many times. Nice. And yeah, yeah. Uh, no, catching up with family. And so so do you meditate with, every day? Yes, I do. So every coach, morning? Actually, every morning? Coach. Yeah, every morning. Okay, okay. And your Recently coach is, with my coach, yes. Okay. And your coach is from France? Yes, yes. So do you yeah. tra- mainly do training in France or combination? No, I, I mix it up, yeah. You mix, mix it, it up? up between okay. Paris and uh, L.A., Orlando, okay. uh, at the USTA. And, yeah, I mix it up. Okay. Yeah. Is that something that keeps you fresh, you feel like, changing it yeah, up? Yeah, I think or? it helps to change it up a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. For the mind, I think being on the same, the same spot all the time sometimes is... Uh, it's not not the best, but uh, no. I, and also the with the weather conditions, you know, Paris is not always the best. Yeah. Uh, so no, I like uh, training in hot com- conditions. Yeah. Uh, before U.S. Open, I trained in Miami, uh, in big heat. So mm-hmm. it helped me a lot. Yeah. And when you go back to Paris or France, does it does it feel like? I mean, I know you spent a lot of time in the States and you represent the United mm-hmm. States, but does it feel like home? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. L.A. feels like home and uh, Paris feels that's like awesome. home. Yes, I have yeah. two homes. <laughs> yeah, but Paris is a different feeling. It's a childhood feeling. Yeah, yes. yeah. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And so just on the meditation, yoga, mm-hmm. what about um, as far as like fitness, nutrition? Is that something that's, you know, because a lot of people are starting to focus on the, the men's games getting a lot more physical as the years yes, go by. Yes. What anything stand out that specifically that you do that helps you a lot uh, actually uh, changed my fitness outlook uh, uh, before the US Open I started to uh, uh, do more fitness on court and uh, and work a lot on my baseline fitness uh, right left right left and uh, I've been doing that hours hours every day and it's really helping out because now I'm able to hold the baseline rallies when mm-hmm. I have to 
and uh, but I've been very focused on uh, implementing fitness on the court lately. Yeah, an interesting guy. It's an interesting chat. And this is one of the benefits, I guess, of the ATP podcast. We get to hear from a range of different players and uh, what they bring to the table. Uh, the mental side, that huge working on the mental. We see the players, a lot of players now are employing sports psychologists to try and get that edge. Um, traveling psychologists as well throughout the year to work on that mental side. It's huge and the results are coming for him. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, across the board, that's what a lot of players are saying is how much they've added that sports psychologist to the team or worked on their mentality. I mean, Cressy in particular, who we were just talking about, has done a lot with meditation and has mentioned how that's been so effective for him. I know Djokovic does some meditation as well. And so just to get that clear mind, um, it's so important in, in tennis and sports across the board is to be able to not think too much. I mean, that's one of the biggest assets if you can get to that point. And so it's, it's no surprise that a lot of these players are getting a lot more focused on the mentality. I mean, you I used to talk with my coach a lot about, you know, you, you work on so many aspects of your game, you're out there on the court hours on end. And he would constantly tell me, you know, you're exercising all these muscles. So it's muscle memory. So you don't have to think about it when you go on the court, when you hit a forehand or backhand, well, the same applies to your mind as well. You got to exercise the mind and you got to, you know, do those reps to, so it's almost like an afterthought when you go on the court, as far as quieting your mind and just being in the moment, being in the zone as tennis players like to say. Um, so it, it is such an important aspect. So, and not everything is going to work for every player. I mean, you have to kind of experiment and find what, what works best for you in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, good to see him in the final of the 250 in Melbourne in Adelaide. We've got uh, the final set for Gail Monfils and Karen Hutchinov, the seed one, taking on the seed two. Uh, Monfils has looked particularly good. One thing I'm really enjoying about seeing Gail here, and I had the chance to talk to him on court, he's having fun. He's looking relaxed. Considering all that he went through, I think he was kind of at the end of his rope a little bit last year with everything going on. Had the bright spot of obviously getting married, uh, which is uh, particularly agreeing with him, I've got to say. And uh, Alina Svitolina has been here. They're playing in the, in the same tournament. It's a, an ATP WTA joint event. But he's having fun and he's playing up to the crowd and we're seeing all the tricks on show and he's getting through really, really nicely. And I think for tennis, it's good to see Monfils in that situation. Well, I, I mean, I, we always know that he's had the talent in his whole life, and it's just nice to see that he's really enjoying it. And he has expressed openly how much he feels like um, his relationship with Spinalina has really helped him. I, I, I like how they're pretty different from each other. Like Monfils will play up to the crowd. He likes, you know, showing all that emotion. He's so much fun to watch. And Spinalina, very focused and intense. And so I think the combination of the two together, I think they can both help each other quite a bit, but I think that's where Monfils uh, plays his best is when, you know, he's in, enjoying every single moment. And it just, it just, for me, frees him up quite a bit. And when he's playing free, it's, it's pretty scary in a good way. Yeah. Good to see Karen Hatchinov making uh, a final again. And he played Marin Cilic in the semifinals. Good to see Cilic playing some good tennis too. He's a family man. He's got a couple of kids now. So he's uh, looking after them, which is good to see. Uh, so one of the other players, Juan Manuel Sarundalo, I think uh, will be a player to watch um, this uh, season. He had a good rise up the rankings last year. And I think he's 
just about ready to capitalise on that and he'll have a good year. Maybe might feature in some predictions a little bit later on next week, but we'll see how we go there. But it's been a good tournament. Good tournament for Tanasi Kokonakis as well. I've got to mention the Australian who has been basically injured his entire career. He played on the Challenger Tour. He went right back to the start again, and he's been working hard under the radar. He played 20 tournaments last year. First time in a long time that he's played that many tournaments, but they're largely at Challenger level, so go all the way back to the start and build it all the way back up. He's been inside the world's top 200. He's inside the world's top 150. He's going to be back inside the world's top 100 in no time because he's played some good tennis. He played Mikhail Ima here. Uh, that was a particularly tight three-set match because Ema played a heck of a match and the crowd was really having a good time, but Kokonakis got through. We know the talent he's got. It's just a matter of making sure that his body's right. He's had a good preseason, and I think he's setting himself nicely for a, a big Australian campaign, and he could cause some damage. Definitely. I mean, he's always one that's uh, dangerous to look out for when you see him in the draw, but every time I see him in the draw... I mean, I agree with you. I'm like, oh my God, I just hope he can get through this week staying healthy. I mean, that's the first thing I think of because every time there were so many times when he was coming back and um, you felt like, okay, this is, this is where he can make his push. And then all of a sudden he had to pull out. So it's so great that he's been able to stay healthy and huge respect as well for going back and playing those smaller events. Cause that is not, you ask any player and that is not the easiest thing to do when you're used to being on the main tour to go back and play the small events and have to really grind and work yourself back up again. But he, he was very smart about it. He knew that's exactly what he needed. He needed those matches to make sure that he could get through being healthy week in and week out and just competing. And that builds your confidence hugely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, good to see him there. He fell to Monfi's in straight sets, but it was a competitive and entertaining match here in Adelaide. Let's turn our attention to, What's happening next week or this coming week when you're uh, listening to this? There's so much happening. There's another tournament in Adelaide. Of course there is. Uh, the tour moved <laughs> it's to pretty Sydney. impressive, I have to say. It, it is, and it's a wonderful facility here, so you can more than handle having a couple of tournaments in a row. Uh, we also have Sydney running as well. So Aslan Karatsev, my man, is top seed. Last year probably would have struggled to get into qualifying. Now he is uh, top seed. It shows what can happen there. Yeah, I feel like I can't choose him as someone I'm going to go for because he's your man. <laughs> Correct. Stay away. Um, Andy Murray played in Melbourne uh, in your event there. He's gone up to Sydney as well. Dan Evans, uh, David Goffan, of course, Fanini versus Kyrgios. Oh, that's going to be a fun first rounder. Uh, we've also got in Adelaide, we've got uh, a lot of the Aussies are playing here. Kokonakis is staying, Milman's staying. Alexander Vukic, who I think you've caught up with and spoken to, that's gone out on the podcast channel recently. So if you want to catch Jill's chat uh, with Vuki, you absolutely can do that. Uh, but Monfils is staying, so he'll be installed as the top seed. John Isner is, is coming to Melbourne, having played the ATP Cup. There's a lot of movement going on. And importantly for the players uh, who are ranked outside of direct entry into the Australian Open, Australian Open qualifying is happening all week across five days uh, this year. Uh, happening on-site at Melbourne Park, uh, unlike last year where it was had to be held off-site. Um, the site's looking absolutely magnificent. There's a new show court. We'll talk more about what's happening around the site next week. But it's always a huge week for the players. And, you know, that crossroads, I guess, of the tour where you've got the players who are maybe being injured and looking to 
come back. We've got the young players trying to make their mark. We've got those who've been thereabouts trying to just get that breakthrough and have that push up the rankings. It, it's a really interesting week, isn't it, the qualifying? Yeah, I, I, well, I just think it's so worth coming for the fans to watch the qualifying because it's exactly right. You see players that you not necessarily know might get through and have that huge push. And um, you just see how hard they're working to try and get into that main draw. Some of them trying to reestablish themselves because maybe they've been in the main draw, their ranking has slipped. Some then are going for their first main draw ever in their career. So it's just kind of exciting if you follow their backstory, if you learn about the player, it's really exciting to kind of come out and watch them all just grind it out. I'm hoping the weather is going to cooperate because I think there's supposed to be a little bit of um, rain next week. It's actually, there was some rain this past week as well, but luckily, as you know, Peter, there are three roofs here that, that we can work with at Melbourne Park. So that's been really helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah, the qualifying is just super exciting. Yeah, it sure is. So there's plenty of storylines to play out. Obviously, one big storyline that we talked about off the top Find out all the information, the latest scores. You can download the ATP Tour app or atptour.com for all of the details. That's it for this podcast. Coming up in our next podcast, Australian Open preview time. But most importantly, we are doing our time capsule predictions. Yes, that's right. The statue, I believe, is on its way to my safekeeping in Melbourne with Chris Bowers, who will also be joining us on the podcast. But we'll be running through all the predictions from our commentary team about how this year is going to play out, like some of the key storylines, who's going to make the NITO ATP finals at the end of the year. There's plenty to look forward to on that. But Jill, you're going to be joining me, Chris Bowers. I'm excited about you joining me. Chris Bowers, eh, not so much, but he'll be yeah, here anyway as a part of so. it. No, just kidding, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> as we do our preview of the Australian Open, then of course for the uh, remaining couple of weeks we'll be talk- taking you through how the Australian Open has played out. So it is an exciting time. Thanks for jumping on, Jill. And uh, of course we'll be hanging out. We'll be hanging out in Melbourne for AO qualifying and we'll catch you on the next ATP podcast as we preview the Australian Open for 2022.